As I said, we are continuing a series that uh, Pastor Gary started here the last few weeks. We are in week three of our Blessed series, and we are focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, this summer, we're, we're uh, going to be in the Gospel of Matthew throughout the whole summer. So we're going to spend uh, a lot of it in the Sermon on the Mount as we look through each of these uh, Beatitudes, as they are known. It's, it's the intro to the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we're looking at each one of these each week. And once we conclude this in the summer, we're going to spend a few more weeks in Matthew looking at all of the parables in Matthew and, and seeing that as we uh, round out our summer. So if you want to continue to, to read ahead or study up uh, and, and stay ahead of where we are, uh, just read the Gospel of Matthew and you'll be set throughout the summer. Uh, but as we uh, open up this morning to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, this is the entirety of this, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a sermon that Jesus gave early on in his ministry. And yet even early on in the ministry, he had already gained some, some big crowds and some popularity with the people, not just because of what he taught and how he explained the scriptures, and that certainly attracted people, but, but he also was healing people. He was also doing these miracles, right, of, of feeding people and, and all these things. And, and the, the word spread quickly, even, even without social media. People um, gained popularity with Jesus pretty quickly. And, and, and in this moment, and, and this Jesus gathers not just his disciples, but this large crowd on the side of a mountain and, and delivers to them this sermon. I, I remember going to this site at the Holy Land as I was there about a year and a half ago, and and what stood on the side of this mountain, literally, where he, Jesus delivered uh, this sermon. And, and, and just imagine the, the scenery looking out over the Sea of Galilee and, and, and all that's going on there. And yet, um, the, the, what Jesus shares here is, is just very, uh, very interesting and imperative to our faith and to being a follower of Jesus. Uh, it, the reality, though, is that a lot of these people came to Jesus because they had, they had expectations of him. Again, they wanted to know about the kingdom of God. They wanted to know about salvation. They wanted um, you know, to, to witness the miracles. In fact, a lot of them, in fact, wanted miracles for themselves. And they came to Jesus with lots of expectations. And, and, and that's still true of us today. I think mean, we, we come to Jesus, we come to church with these certain level of expectations or things that we want to know about or things we want to learn. And, and the, the interesting thing but when we study the Sermon on the Mount is not just what it says, but also what it doesn't say. Because Jesus was very specific in what he covered, and there are some pretty core things that Jesus didn't cover in the Sermon on the Mount. The, the first one that we realize is that Jesus doesn't give the gospel or how to be saved in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, first, you know, sitting back, I mean, like, well, Jesus, don't you realize you have these large crowds? Don't, don't, aren't you about telling them about salvation? But he doesn't cover the gospel or how to be saved in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus also doesn't give just a list of do's and don'ts for your life. He doesn't just describe this, this religious mentality of if you do this, then you get that. And as long as you do the right things, then you get the right things in your life. And, and in fact, that's not what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount at all. And, and of course, we know that he doesn't do that because that's not what Christianity is about. Right? Christianity isn't about of religion, a, a list of do's and don'ts, a check off the box and then you get what you want. That's, that's not what following Jesus is at all. Because following Jesus is about a relationship with your creator. 
Right, following Jesus, finding that, that salvation through that. And yet, when we look at both of these things, we realize that it wasn't just the crowds at that moment that came to Jesus that listened to this sermon on the side of the mountain that were expecting these things from Jesus. In fact, most people turn to God, even in our culture today, looking for these two things, don't they? They come with these expectations. I want to know how to be saved, how to get to heaven. And just, just tell me what to do and get it so that I can do that and then go on with my life. And, and people are looking for the, 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 the right ticket on the heaven train, right? And, and they also just say, I want, to, I want to know what I have to do. Right? And these are the same expectations that people come to Jesus with even today. And, and yet, as we see what the sermon doesn't teach, we also see what it does teach. Right, is the Sermon on the Mount does answer the question of what my inner life should look like when I am saved. Right, Jesus addresses to, to the crowd that day and to us today in the same way that, that he's saying, this is what your life will look like if you commit to follow Jesus. If you are saved, if you, if you engage into this relationship with God, this is what your life will look like. This is what will be different. This is how you will live out your faith. As I've already mentioned, the, the, the intro to this sermon is, is known as the Beatitudes. It is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you're with us in person and don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. You'll notice on the outline is the page number where you can find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, if you, uh, if you have your Bible close to you and you can follow along, if not, you can just listen as I read it, but we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, where it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. As we read this description of all of these different areas of life, we, we again see as Jesus summarizes all that he's going to teach in the, the following verses and chapters um, of this very famous sermon. Now, it's interesting, again, just as Pastor Gary pointed out to you last week, that, that Jesus is not addressing happiness here. He's addressing blessed, and those are two very different things. And, and when we look at, at, at all that, that he describes here, uh, we see that, uh, again, these, these first few things that we've already uh, co covered the last two weeks, Pastor Gary covered for you, the first one is that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We saw how being poor in spirit is being completely dependent upon God, knowing that I cannot save myself. 
and that I need him every day. And the reality is you can experience a little bit of heaven every day in your life if you live life to its fullness of following Jesus. And then last week, uh, Pastor Gary covered, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And we saw uh, as, as he explained that Jesus was really saying, blessed are those who mourn for sin. Right? And over the, the ramifications of that sin in our world. And now this morning, we are moving on to the third one of God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. As we've already stated, this is a sermon that Jesus delivered, and, and, and just like the purpose of a sermon today, his primary purpose is to study and explain and apply Scripture. In fact, if we go through the entire sermon, all three chapters in Matthew, we can quickly realize that Jesus actually quotes a lot of Old Testament scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, today's beatitude is almost a direct quote of Psalms 3711. Now, on your outline, you notice I, I threw the psalm, and this is the New King James Version, so this is not the NLT version that we typically look from, because this one is more a direct quote, um, this version of, of what Jesus says. He says, but, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Again, in the, the King James translation, even the NIV translates this beatitude as humble are the meek. And so that might maybe be more familiar to you if you've heard it in other versions. But, but the, the word that Jesus uses here, Okay, when you look at, at, at meek, um, is the, the, the full definition of this Greek word is gentle, mild, or humble. And as you've seen in the NLT translation, actually translate it as humble. And, but that's the real connotation of the word that Jesus uses here, and which he, again, quoting out of the Psalms. Now, as we look at this one, I think uh, most people... Uh, typically think that the first one, the poor in spirit, is about humbleness, but it's not, right, as we've already seen. This, this one, the meek, is one that's where Jesus is describing humbleness. Now, as we start thinking about this concept of being humble today, I, I want to start by, by just looking at not just the biblical definition of humbleness, but also how it compares to the world's definition of humbleness, because the way the world defines being humble is very different than the way God describes it. First, when you think about humbleness and, and about the, the way the world sees it, is typically the world's worldly humbleness means weakness. Right? Worldly humbleness means weakness. It's, um, again, when, when you think about um, gentle or mild or humble, you know, the way that, again, this Greek word is defined, the Jesus' words, it, it's really kind of the opposite of ego. And yet, the world tends to celebrate an ego. Right? The, the world, um, you know, kind of sees it again that, that your, your ego is the opposite, all right, of, of humbleness. Because if you have an ego, that means you're the best, right? That, that, that you're on top of, of, of whatever it is you're in, whether it's sports or the arts or, uh, you know, writing game or business world, whatever it might be. Like if you're on the top, right, then, then your ego is usually there with you. Right? And so, of course, the opposite of that would mean that you're weak, that you're not the best. Now, we've all been around proud people. 
right? Those that have a large ego. These are, are the kind of people that when they walk into the room, you kind of sit and wonder if there's enough space for you and their ego in this room, right? And this might turn a little uncomfortable. Now, t- typically, if these people, if they have a large ego, they are typically one of the most selfish people that you'll ever meet. And, and again, it, it doesn't, what does it take? When you think about that person, we've all met those people. We've all interacted with them at different times. Think about them. What does it take for that person to be humbled? Well, for, that, for them to be humbled, if they have this large ego, they, if in order for them to be humbled, they need to be proven weaker than someone else around them. Again, it all comes down to how they compare to the rest of the room, doesn't it? And see, this is not, again, what, what biblical humbleness means. Biblical humbleness doesn't mean that you're weaker than someone else. Right? Biblical humbleness does not mean that I get walked on or pushed over. And again, I think this is one of the big lies about following Jesus, is that, well, if you, if you follow Jesus, then you're, you're going to be weak. And that's just simply not true. In fact, if you read the Gospels, right, you can look at Jesus as he is our example to follow and realize that he was never walked on or pushed over. And, and, and even one of what I feel is one of the most misquoted things of Jesus when, when we're told to turn the other cheek, and that is completely misquoted by our culture of what that means. Biblical humbleness doesn't mean that I get walked on or pushed over. This is a worldly stereotype of Christians, that they are people that you can take advantage of. I, I remember several years ago, and just as I said, we were just on a mission trip to Guatemala, and it was a great trip, and and again, we hope to, to lead and have lots more teams from our church go. But I remember a lot of years ago, I've led a lot of mission trips in my years in youth ministry and, and with different adult teams and youth teams. But I, I've taken several teams into Mexico several years ago on mission trips. And, and I remember every time we were in Mexico and realizing that the majority of their churches in Mexico are women. And, and, and our, the missionaries we were with was explaining to us that one of the, the main reasons why that's true, especially in the, the Mexican culture, is because um, Christianity is viewed as weak. And the men in their culture don't want to be viewed as weak. And so they are very reluctant to come to church. And I think as we realize that, and even as, as we look at even our own men's ministry, and Jason and I have had lots of conversations Right, about men's ministries, that again, I think that's one of the lies of, of Christianity, even in our culture, right, is that if I'm submitted to God, that that makes me weak. And that's simply not true. Again, look at Jesus. Right, look at the lies of Jesus. Jesus was never walked on or pushed over. The only time that we even see that happen a little bit in his life was in the last 12 hours of his life, and that was only when he let them do it so he would end up on the cross. Have you ever wondered why it took the Pharisees three years to come up with a way to finally get rid of Jesus? Because the reality is, even when they did finally get him, it wasn't because of their wit or their power. It was because Jesus submitted. A biblical humbleness and following Jesus does not mean that you get walked on or pushed over. 
Worldly humbleness also typically means that, that you are not qualified or skilled. Again, biblical humble, or worldly humbleness means that I'm not qualified or skilled. It, it means, and again, in the world's eyes, it means that everyone around you is better than you. Now, again, as we see this play out, I, I believe you know, the sports world is a way where, that I think is one of the most telling contexts of our culture. Whether it's the professional sports or, or down through the ranks, all the way down to, to, to three- to five-year-old soccer, right, is you see our culture come out in people when sports are involved. And, and when you look at this, again, what, when, uh, again sports seem to be a place where, where you see all of this come out, and yet um, the only time you typically see a humble athlete is is after the game and the media interview of the losing team. Right, that's when you see a humble athlete. It seems like it's the only time. And, and again, we realize this, right, that, that, that the reason they're, they're humble in that moment is because they have lost. Right? At least that day, they've been proved less than the one who beat them. Now, it, it, it's just me, it's my own flesh, but I love to see, especially the athletes who talk the most trash before the game, I love to watch their after-game interview when they lose. But, but the reality is it doesn't matter what sport it is, it's always the same. Is, and typically it's the ones who talk the most trash beforehand fall the hardest. As I think about that, again, as many of you know, I have um, teenage sons. They're all athletes. And in fact, I, I've been told them their whole life, and again, it's something I have to even tell myself, but, but I've told them their whole life. I'm like, don't demean someone else to make yourself feel better. Don't demean yourself to make, or don't demean others to make yourself feel better. Now, not only is that on the sports field, but again, I, I, we see that happen all the time in our culture, don't we? You demean someone else to make yourself feel better. And, and yet, we, we look at the example that Jesus gives us, and, and we understand that, that with biblical humbleness, we understand that life's not about me. As a follower of Jesus, I, I live by a different standard, and, and that that if life is not about me, right, then I don't have to make myself look better to everyone else. That I can just be who God made me to be, and, and I don't have to compare myself to anybody else. And even if I am on a losing team, it doesn't change who I am or how God made me. It just means that somebody beat me that day. But I'll get them the next day. In fact, when you look at this concept of, of how the, the core of biblical humbleness is understanding that life is not about me, when we look at the, the, the deeper parts of the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, all of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes this point. He talks about all kinds of different areas of life. He, he brings up all kinds of things. He, he talks about giving. He talks about praying. He talks about fasting, about wealth, about worry. And his point in all five of these life illustrations 
is the foundational fact that life is not about you. I want to read one of these passages here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 and verse 24, where it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Again, this... This, the underlying concept that Jesus is teaching, not just through this one about money, but all the other areas of life that he covers in the entire chapter 6 is, is the foundational truth that life is not about you. Again, Jesus doesn't say you can't have money, right? That's not the point. Right? The point is where is your heart? Because where you put your treasure is where your heart will be. And this passage, just like many others, Right? And not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but all throughout Scripture, comes down to where your heart is. Is your heart focused on God? Is it focused on, on the way that God created us and, and his creation and the world and, and, and all those things? Or is it on something else? In fact, I encourage you to underline that phrase for where your heart is or where your treasure is, their desires of your heart will also be. That is the key to so many things in life. Because the, the, the foundational truth is that when we look at the world's way, the world tells us that it's all about me. That I'm the center of not just my universe, but I should be the center of everybody else's too. And yet, heaven's way says that it's all about God. The world tells us it's all about me. I look out for number one. Right? But heaven's way says you're not number one. God is. Everything boils down to this question. Again, is your life going to be about you or is it going to be about God? Because if life is about me, then I don't care about other people. If life is about me, then other people are just a way to get what I want for me. And then we use them or manipulate people to get myself ahead. If the world revolves around me, then the world is here to serve me. And this perspective leads to, a, to an entitled disposition. Have you seen that in our culture at all? If life is about God, however, then I care about others as much as I care about myself. Everything I do, I do the best that I can so that God and others look good, not just so that I look good. The world is here because God made it, and I will help God make it a better place. And this perspective leads to a joyful disposition and a blessed life. Ultimately, it does come down to perspective. Because perspective is very powerful. In fact, perspective is one of the 
the big reasons I really believe in short-term mission trips. Right? Because a short-term mission trip will change your perspective. When, when I think about my life and think about the perspective that I can take, right, and, and about the way I can view maybe life and find joy and even maybe things I don't like, when I have to wake up early, and if you know me, I don't like to wake up early. Hey, but if I have to wake up early, I, I can take the perspective that I have a family to love and to, to care for and that I, ha- I have a job to go to. Right, when I see a dirty house, I can remember that I have a safe place to live. When I see a huge pile of laundry, I can be thankful that I have clothes to wear. When I see a sink full of dirty dishes, I can be thankful that we had food to eat off of those dishes. When I see crumbs under the table, I'm reminded of those precious family dinners. When I see a seemingly unending grocery list, I can be thankful that I have money to provide. When I see toilets to clean, I can be reminded how blessed I am to have indoor plumbing. When I hear lots of noise and my house is never quiet, I can remember that I have such great people in my life. When I get endless questions and groans about homework, I can be reminded that my kids are getting a quality education. When I'm sore and worn out and fall into bed exhausted, I can be thankful that I'm still alive to enjoy this life and serve my God another day. Perspective is a very powerful thing. We get to choose how we interpret life. Do we interpret it through the world's eyes? Or do we see it through God's eyes? Because that's what biblical humbleness is. Is remembering that God is God. And I'm not. Right? And that that he created me the way I am with, with all of my, my personality and, and my likes and my dislikes and my strengths and my weaknesses, but, but he created me how I am and he gives me my identity as his child. And that I can follow that, that humbleness that Jesus displayed and know that life isn't about me and it's way better when it's not. Because it's about God instead. James 4.10 tells us that humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. And as I read this verse, again, the thing that stands out to me the most about this verse is exactly this concept, right? That, that we choose to humble ourselves before the Lord. And again, our flesh wants to focus on the last part of that verse, doesn't it? Right, if we're, then, then God will lift you up, right? But... That's not the point of that verse. But the point of that verse is is the first phrase. Because again, we get to choose how we process life. 
God gave us that free will. And will we humble ourselves before God? Because that's the key to biblical humbleness. So if I'm humble, then what? As Jesus says, if, if you know, blessed are those who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. And if I am humble, if I can truly find this way of life and follow God in, in the way that he created this, to, to truly live out biblical humbleness, if I'm humble, this, I will inherit the earth in the future. Just like so many passages, especially even as Jesus teaches, and we saw it in Isaiah in our last study, but so many passages apply to right now, but they also apply to eternity, right, to the future. And, and this is true with this Beatitude as well, that we will inherit the earth in the future. Again, in fact, the, the psalm that Jesus quotes is referring to the promised land, right? That they will inherit the earth, right, it, with the promised land. But, but uh, again, Jesus, not only as he quotes it here, obviously the promised land's already been given, but Jesus is also talking about the promised land out of Revelation 21. Because reality, if we follow Jesus, if we humble ourselves, we submit to him, we receive him as our savior, and we walk with Jesus every day, and we move forward in our faith journey, right, then we will inherit the earth in the future. Right? Revelation 21, verses 1 and 3 and 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth have disappeared. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And these things are gone forever. I was going to say that's worth an amen or something. I mean, as you see, again, this biblical description of heaven, and, and notice, right, that, that it's, it's, it's a new heaven and a new earth, right? We will inherit the earth for eternity when God makes it right in his second coming. If we can find biblical humbleness, we will inherit the earth in the future because we will find our salvation through Jesus. Again, he, Jesus doesn't give direct gospel message in the Sermon on the Mount, but he sure alludes to why it's important, doesn't he? So not only will we inherit the earth in the future, but we also have the opportunity to inherit the earth right now. As we walk with Jesus every day. And, and again, the, the, the reality is that the Bible is not quiet about humbleness and about pride. In fact, there are hundreds of verses and passages and stories that communicate this same message that Jesus teaches us here in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's just a few of them. Matthew 23, 12. He says, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, do we choose to follow God to, to find that biblical humbleness? You see in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Notice again, all of these verses are the same thing that Jesus teaches. Who does the humbling? We humble ourselves. We choose to submit to our God. Right? And when we choose to submit to our God, then, then, then he gets to take over our lives. Right? And, and when he takes over our lives, 
as we pray and accept him as our Savior and receive his forgiveness and his grace, and, and then we then submit ourselves to him every day, and that's what the journey is about, right, of following Jesus, is that we, we make that same commitment every morning. Right, and we continue to move forward in our faith every day as we take a step closer to who Christ is. Right, and we grow in our faith and we learn and, and God transforms our heart. Now, now I understand that this is, it's easy for us to see this concept all throughout Scripture, but, but it's a whole other thing to live it out, isn't it? But that's also why we need the church, is to help each other do it. But the reality is that God lifts you up, but you first need to accept it. You need to accept Jesus in your life, right? to receive the, the gift of salvation. This concept is very challenging to allow. But if we truly can pursue a meek attitude, you will have a much more enjoyable life here on earth. Some of the most humble people that I know are also the most prosperous and successful people that I know. And that's not a coincidence. Right? As the world sees success and prosper, again, we can see that they're truly blessed. Again, I don't know what you're dealing with or where your faith is at today. Whether you receive Christ as your Savior or, or you've you don't know anything about God, and you're just checking it out for the first time. I, I don't know where you are at in your journey, but, but I hope that today you will realize that life isn't about you. Life's about God. And then if you've never received him as your Savior, I hope that you will pray and accept him today. And if you have received him as your Savior, then you will take a step closer to Christ. Because he is the destination of our journey, that our hearts will be transformed as we move forward in our faith and grow and learn and live out our faith every day. He said, I don't know where you're at in your life today and in your faith, but I hope that you will take a step forward. You know, maybe especially on, on a national holiday, we know what celebration looks like, and maybe that's the next step of your faith, is just to celebrate and praise for what God has done. Again, I don't know where your faith journey is at today, but I hope that you'll move forward. And as we conclude our service today, I hope that you'll respond to God's Spirit. So here's my final thought today. It, it comes out of James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. It says, As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Will you claim that promise today? Resist the devil, he will flee, but come close to God and he will come close to you. It gives me conclude our service this morning. I said, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey, but I hope you'll take a step forward. And, and to do that, again, you can humble yourself before the Lord. Whether that's humbling through receiving him as your savior for the first time or just rededicating your life, confessing something, or even just, just praising him for who he is and for what he's already done in your life. And I hope you'll do that today. Lord God, we praise you for who you are. God, that, that you are God, a God that loves us. That a God that doesn't want us to be humiliated, but yet you do call us to submit and humble ourselves before you. God, I thank you that we don't have to choose weakness 
or to be walked over to follow you, but God, we can just live into our true identity as your child. And God, I pray that you would guide us as we go. God, that we can truly choose the right perspective as we go through life. God, not just choose a life with you, choose our salvation and receive it from you. But God, just to choose to walk with you every day. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide our steps. Lord, that we can show this world who you really are. God, that following you is not about a religion or a list of do's and don'ts, but, but just living in relationship with you every day. Lord, as we celebrate with our friends and family today, we pray for, Lord, your, your protection. And Lord, that even celebrating not just our nation, our independence, but, but Lord, the fact we get to choose you. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. The freedom to follow you, especially. Lord, as we go this week, help us to be your church, to shine your light to those that don't know you. And God, to live out our faith every day. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.